You're listening to the sermon podcast of Galveston Bible Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit galvestonbible.org. But mostly, from wherever you're listening, we hope that the Lord ministers to you through this week's message. Good morning. We're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 5. We're in a series in 1 Timothy. We'll be in chapter 5 today. But first, I want to say one more thing about our response to the COVID-19 virus. And it's going to come from Romans chapter 14. um, Because Romans 14 gives us some important principles about this situation. When there are debatable issues like this, our response, how we're to respond. The examples in Romans chapter 14 gives a few examples. One is that one man says, okay, I want to honor the Lord. I'm going to celebrate the religious holidays. And another man says, I want to honor the Lord. I'm going to not celebrate these holidays for a different reason. One man says, okay, I'm going to eat kosher to honor God. Another man says, because I've been saved, I don't have to do that anymore. I'm not going to eat kosher in order to honor God. And that's the situation they had in the New Testament. People believe different things about those issues. And each one did it in order to honor God. We have that same situation with COVID-14. Some of us believe that we should meet together whenever possible. And we should take precautions and we should trust God for the rest. Others believe that it it's not kind to my neighbor if I come and meet together and I expose people to a virus. So I'm not going to meet together in order to honor God. So we disagree about that. But here's the two principles that come out of Romans chapter 14. First of all, it says, let every man be fully convinced in his own mind and act according to his conscience toward God. So every one of us needs to do, to to make those decisions based on the reasons that we have and honor God and have a good conscience. And that doesn't mean that we're going to agree on everything. And this is true for a lot of things besides COVID-19 also, but especially right now. Doesn't mean we're going to agree. It does mean that we need to be firmly convinced of what God wants us to do and to do that in accordance with our conscience. The second principle is that I am not to condemn my brother in matters like this because he disagrees and he's going to do something different than I am. Because it's easy for me, being convinced in my own mind like I am, to say, well, this is really not up for debate. This is the way you should do it, the way I'm doing it. I'm convinced, so you should be convinced. That's not what Romans chapter 14 says. What it says is, your brother is my servant. He's not your servant. So he should do what I want him to do, not what you want him to do. So God says, who do you think you are judging my servant? God does not want us to condemn our brothers on debatable issues where they've made different decisions. So we need to remember that as we react to this virus, a lot of other issues also, but as we react to this, 
We do need to be convinced in our own mind what God wants us to do. We don't need to put that on our brothers in Christ who are God's servants also. So, 1 Timothy chapter 5. Today we're going to talk about the difference between this, wagging your finger at someone, and this, putting your arm around them. And we're going to talk about confrontation in different ways in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. 1 Timothy is about a little over three-fourths of the way through the New Testament. If you get to Hebrews, you went too far. Chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 say, Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father, and the younger men as brethren. The elder women as mothers, the younger as sisters, with all purity. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that we have a relationship with you through the sacrifice that you made of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We were sinners, unable to help ourselves, condemned to your just wrath. And we thank you, Lord, that we have come into your presence through the offering that you have made. We pray, Lord, as we think about our brothers and sisters in our family of Christ, that we would apply your word to our hearts, that we would take action where we need to, that we would understand the principles that you have for us here today. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so just a little housekeeping first. Uh, what does this mean? Uh, technically, this isn't really just a figure of speech when Paul says, uh, the older men as fathers, the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, the younger women as sisters. Technically, if we are born again by the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ, we are related to other people who are born again. That's our family, spiritual family. We are related to them, literally. But Paul's also here using this as a way to instruct Timothy on how to interact with the church there at Ephesus. Timothy was left at Ephesus by Paul uh, to straighten out some issues. So he gives him instructions throughout this letter. Uh, and we've looked at a lot of that, but we're looking at chapter 5 now. First of all, elder is not referring to the church office. I read that from the KJV. Uh, if you read it in other translations, it'll probably say older men or older man. Uh, and that is true. That's exactly what it means. But it also highlights the fact that the church office of elder is for older men. That's, the, that's why they use that word. Um, it says rebuke not, but entreat. And that refers to everyone in that list. It refers to the older men, the younger men, the older women, the younger women. Rebuke not, but entreat. It's also helpful to realize that uh, entreat, as I read in the KJV, uh, and encourage, as it says in the ESV, which we use here, um, are not exactly the same, are they? If I'm, if I'm saying I want to encourage someone, that means that you know, I want to urge them on their way that they're already going. It's, it's not, uh, it doesn't have the idea of confrontation. But entreat 
or as the NASB translates it, appeal to, has the idea of a confrontation, just like rebuke. Rebuke has the idea of confrontation, wagging your finger, but so does entreat. Uh, entreat is uh, to plead, persuade, to make an earnest request. So it's the idea of putting our arm around the person's shoulder and saying, okay, brother, this is what we need to talk about. So Paul is contrasting two types of confrontation here. He's contrasting the confrontation of rebuke, that style, with the conf confrontational style of entreating or appealing to. So why does Paul bring up this issue? Timothy, we know, was left at Ephesus. Why was he left there? Chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 say, As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus, when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless gene genealogies, which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in the faith, so do. So Paul left Timothy in Ephesus while he traveled on so that Timothy could straighten out some problems they had in the church, especially about false doctrine, about things they were teaching that were wrong. So Paul brings up this issue in verses 1 and 2 here because Timothy is obviously going to have to be in a situation where he's in uh, confronting these people who are teaching false doctrine. There's no other way to do it. You've got to confront them. But what Paul says is, don't confront them like this. Confront them like this. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, another reason is that Timothy is also serving as an elder, as a shepherd there in the church in Ephesus while he's there. And the role of a shepherd requires confrontation because shepherds have to watch for their souls as one that must give an account, as it says in Hebrews 13, 17. So both of these duties, the specific duty that Timothy had there in Ephesus to, con to confront people who were teaching false doctrine, and the duty of an elder or a shepherd, both required confrontation. So that's why Paul tells Timothy to do it this way, and not this way. So that's why he brought it up. And why is it necessary to state that? What about the situation makes it necessary that we have to be specific about that? Well, because we're all sinners, our sinful nature is proud. It's about pride and selfishness. And pride and selfishness is like this. It's about, I'm right, you're wrong, you need to get with it. I'm going to point the finger. That's, about our, that's the way we naturally would approach conflict. It's entirely opposite the way God wants us to approach it, in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the fruit of the Spirit. We, he wants us to approach it in a way that we come alongside the person. What Timothy is told to do is to entreat and encourage God's family. 
instead of rebuking, the word for rebuke actually means like to pound down or to beat. That's why this is a good way to remember it. That word means to pound down. The word for entreat is the word uh, parakaleo, which Jesus also uses uh, a root word from that when he describes uh, sending the Holy Spirit. Let's look in our Bibles at John chapter 14. And we'll start in verse 16. John 14, starting in verse 16. Jesus is talking to his disciples here on his last day on earth. He says, I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter or helper. And that's the word, the same root word as what we have here in entreat that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. So the Holy Spirit, our comforter and helper, that's the same word that Paul uses here when he says that we're to entreat our brothers were to come alongside them, to help them to live the Christian life. In 2 Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God, peradventure, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. So rather than wagging the finger, we're putting the arm around the shoulder, and we're saying, brother, this is what I see. What you're doing, it's going to hurt you, it's going to hurt others, it's going to hurt the cause of Christ, it's going to hurt the church. This is what I see. Consider this. God might grant you repentance. So, Paul instructs Timothy to rebuke not but entreat. Knowing that his duties in Ephesus require him to confront his Christian family, he wants Timothy to do it in a godly way. So that's Timothy. How does it apply to us? Does this have an application to us? I think it does. First of all, we have elders in our church. They have a special responsibility to shepherd the flock under Christ, the chief shepherd. So how does that work? We have a distorted view of shepherding here in the United States, in America, as compared to what they did in the Middle East, what they still do in the Middle East. So when we think of shepherding, we think of sheep being herded around like cattle. Okay, they want them in this pasture, they herd them over there. They want them in that pasture, they herd them over there. Totally not what they did or do in the Middle East. The sheep follow the shepherd. The shepherd walks and the sheep follow them. That's why Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they, I know them and they follow me. The sheep followed the shepherd. 
The shepherd went to where the good land was for them to eat. They would eat along the way and keep walking and eating. They'd come to some water. They would drink. They would follow the shepherd all day around where the shepherd led them. And they still do that. So that's the role of an elder in the church. When he shepherds the flock of God, he's to lead them that way. But of course, some sheep will go astray. They will get off on some tangent somewhere and get busy and not notice that the shepherd has walked ahead. The shepherd will call them back. If that doesn't work, he'll go get them. Uh, and he'll use whatever means necessary to make sure the sheep stay together. Um, and that's the role of an elder also. Uh, as sheep, we need to be compliant. We need to pay attention to where Jesus is leading us, to where our elders are leading us, and we need to follow. If we don't, then somebody's going to have to take some remedial action <laughs> in order to get us where we need to be. So we have elders. So that applies to the elders specifically. But it also applies to all of us who are Christians. We all have a responsibility, in fact, several responsibilities, to our brothers and sisters to put our arm around them and give them uh, instruction, correction, uh, help, however you want to put it. And I'm going to look at three different examples here of where the Bible says that we need to do that, that we have responsibility to do that. And of course, if we have a responsibility to do it, we also have to have a responsibility to receive it. Because if some brother of mine comes and puts his arm around me and says, brother, this is what I see you're doing, and this is a problem because of whatever reason. Now, is he automatically right? Maybe not, but that's something I need to consider if my brother comes and points something out to me like that. So let's turn to Romans chapter 15. We'll look at the first responsibility that we have. Romans chapter 15. I have a nice ringing. Um, we'll start in verse, well, we'll just read verse 14. Paul's concluding his letter to the Christians in Rome, and he says in Acts 15, 14, no, Romans 15, 14, that'll help. And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Um, KJV and NASB use the word admonish there. Uh, ESV uses uh, instruct, I think. Uh, and again, there's a difference between instruction and admonishing. Instruction is not confrontational. It can be, but not necessarily. Admonishing is confrontational. The word admonish means to reprove, to confront, to instruct. Not, not just to instruct. It means to warn. So Paul here is telling the Romans that he's confident that they have this ability to help each other out in this way. To put their arm around their brother and say, Brother, I'm going to warn you about this. I'm with you. I'm for you. But this thing is bad. So this isn't necessarily a sin. It doesn't mention sin here. This could just be a blind spot because we 
all have blind spots, okay? Some of them are just quirky things that don't really make a difference. Other times, it can be serious. It can affect your relationships with people. It can affect the church. It can affect how you serve the Lord. And it's our responsibility to point out. That's what this word means. We need to point out. Brother, I want to point out something. What do you think about this? Uh, because I won't know it. My blind spots, I don't know about them. I've learned about some in the past that I have had and tried to work with those. But this, could not, this might not be a sin. This might not be something sinful. It might just be things that we're not aware of that we're responsible to point out to our brothers and sisters in Christ to help them and to help Jesus help us. So let's turn next to Galatians chapter 6. A second way that we're told that we have this responsibility in Galatians chapter 6. Paul concludes this letter about being saved by grace and not by works. But he says in Romans chapter 6 verse um, Galatians chapter 6 verse 1, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So here, we're instructed that if anyone is overtaken in a fault, basically this means if they're tripped up by sin, if they're sinning, They've been caught and tripped up by sin. If that's the case, it says we're responsible, we who are spiritual. In other words, if we're walking, the Holy Spirit has his arm around us, giving us instruction, then we can go to that person and say, brother, I know this is a situation. This is how you can get out of it. You need to confess your sin. You need to make your sin right with whoever you've offended. This is what we need to do to get you back on the track. Just like the shepherd takes the sheep, puts them back where they're supposed to be. We have a responsibility to our brothers and sisters who have been tripped up by sin to confront them. But not like this, wagging our finger, but like this. So that's the second thing. It can be a blind spot. It can be sin. It can also be that... It's an offense that we've committed, that we've offended another person, or they've offended us. That's another area where Jesus tells us we need to confront this. Uh, you know, I'm not a confrontational person. My philosophy is, let's ignore it and see if it gets better. That's not biblical. That's not God's mission in this world, is ignore it and see if it gets better. It will not get better. Jesus wants us to confront these things. So let's look at uh, Matthew chapter 18. There's actually two circumstances in which Jesus tells us to take aggressive action. One is, if my brother offends me, my brother offends me in Matthew 18 verse 15, this is what Jesus says should happen. 
Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. So if my brother offends me, I'm to take, I'm to be proactive. I'm to go and talk to him about the offense. And what is the purpose of that? Why would I do that? To restore our relationship. He is my brother. We need to have those relationships restored. So Jesus says, if your brother offends you, do this. It's also the case that if I offend my brother, I need to go to him. Matthew chapter 5. Let's look at that briefly. Matthew chapter 5. And we'll start in verse 21. Jesus says here, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, excuse me, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift unto the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Jesus says God does not want our worship if we know that we have offended someone and we have not tried to reconcile with them. God does not want our worship if we are ignoring our relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're to be proactive, we're to be assertive, we're to be aggressive in confronting both those that we have offended ourselves and those who have offended us in this way of entreating them. Okay, so what can keep us from entreating our family? What can keep us from uh, doing that? Uh, these biblical instructions that we've looked at. If my brother has a blind spot, if my brother is sinning, if my brother has sinned against me or I've sinned against him, what can keep us from being involved in their lives? Well, first of all, our nature. Um, we're proud and we're selfish and we don't want to do that unless the Holy Spirit will empower and lead us to do that. Second of all, we live in a world that thinks it's unloving to confront someone and tell them they're doing something wrong. That is unloving. If you're telling somebody that what they're doing is wrong, you are not loving them. That's the philosophy of the world. If you're going to love someone, then you let them do whatever they want. That is not true. 
that is not biblical, but that's the, always been the philosophy of the world, and even more so now uh, in our culture, we see that. So if we're going to talk about what is loving and what is unloving, we need to define our terms. We're going to go off a little bit on a rabbit trail. We're going to come back to the main road here in a minute. But we need to define our terms. So the world's totally confused about what love is. Uh, if you see something represented as love in the media, on TV, in books, uh, even your friends, your family, uh, your teachers, professors, anything that's represented by, as love by the world is more than likely the polar opposite of what love actually is. And why is that? Well, we're going to see by looking at a very familiar verse in Scripture that love is a commitment. It's not first and foremost a feeling. Love is a commitment to meet the needs of another person. And love as it's portrayed in our world is selfishness. It's lust. It's getting something for me. It's at most a feeling which is not a commitment. Now if you have the commitment, the feeling will follow. That's the way it works. But if you have the feelings and you don't have the commitment, what you're feeling is not love. It's the philosophy of the world. Let's look at John 3.16. Well, let's not look at it. Let's quote it. Who knows John 3.16? Let's say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Okay, that's good. So, what does that verse say about love? For God so loved the world that he gave. Love is about giving. Love is about a commitment to meet the needs of another person. We were sinners. Our, God made us to have a relationship with him. Our father, our first father, Adam, sinned. We are sinners. We sin. There's no way we can have a relationship with a holy God. So God stepped in at infinite cost to himself. He poured his wrath out on Jesus. So that when we trust him, we can have that relationship with him. And that's love. So loving our Christian brothers and sisters is, of what, is, about, is what 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2 is about. We put our arm around them. We tell them, you know, we are willing to risk our relationship with you, our reputation, uh, anything that we need to risk. We are willing to risk that in order to meet your needs. And you need something you might not even know about. Let me tell you what it is. So that's love. This is the opposite. This is I'm right and you're wrong. This is not loving. This is not the Holy Spirit. This is not Christian. We need to stand up for what's right. Absolutely we do. We need to stand up for what's right in a way that God would approve. 
especially in our relationships with our brothers and sisters in Jesus. So the Bible's full of commands to love one another. It says in 1 John 4.20, If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. So this is one of the tests in 1 John to see if we are actually a Christian or not. Um, today in our Christian culture, we have a tendency to want to look back on some emotional event to find out if we're a Christian or not. Was I sincere when I said that prayer? Was I sincere when I raised my hand and said, I want to follow Jesus? So we're looking back at something that happened in the past. That is not the test that the Bible uses to see if you're a Christian. The test that 1 John gives several tests, and they're all in the present, okay? Like this test, do you love your brothers? If you don't love your brothers in Christ, you might not be a brother. If you do, then you probably are a brother. So that's a test to see if we're actually Christians or not. And this is the command that we have that we're to love our brother. Uh, also, John 13, 34 says, Jesus says, I knew a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have loved one to another. So this is probably what John was quoting when he mentioned what he did in 1 John 4. But this last part here says, what does it say? By this, by the fact that we have love for one another, shall all men know that you are my disciples. Now, a lot of times that's not the way that we think about how people will know that we're Jesus' disciples. We might think, because we're a member of a certain church. We might think because we believe certain doctrines. We might think um, that we feed the poor or that we tell people about Jesus. That's how people are going to know we're Jesus' disciples. And those are all great things and important things and can make the difference between whether you go to heaven or hell. So that's not minor. It's not what Jesus says here shows the world that we're his disciples. We're to love one another, and by that they'll know. By our witness to the world of our love for each other is what, how they'll know that we're Christians. That's what validates our testimony. So if you want to see the Holy Spirit move here in Galveston, if you want to see God bring people into his kingdom to worship his holy name, then we need to love one another. We need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to put our arm around the shoulder of our brother and love one another. Love for God, God's family is commanded. Love for God's family is evidence that we're in the family. And love for God's family is a testimony to the world. So to wrap up here, 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2. Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father, and the younger men as brethren, the elder women as mothers, the younger as sisters, with all purity. So what have we learned here? We've learned that God wants us to confront 
our brothers. He does not want us to confront our brothers by wagging our finger at them. He wants us to confront them by lovingly putting our arm around them and saying, brother, I see this problem. What do we need to do about that? To point it out to them. Whether they're blind spots that they have that are hurting them and hurting Jesus, whether they're sins in their lives. You know, I might have a sin in my life that I'm not aware of, or I might have a sin in my life that I'm kind of closing one eye and looking the other direction about half the time, so I don't see that. That's when we need a brother to come alongside of us and put his arm around us. Or it could be offenses that I've committed against my brother or my sister in Christ that I need to go and get reconciled with them, and they need to come and get reconciled with me. So we're to confront our brothers and sisters. We're to receive that from them in a gentle, patient way. We want to know them to know that we are for them. We're not against them, but we have things that we need to talk to them about. Confronting our brothers and sisters is true, truly showing God's love to them. So as the Holy Spirit puts his arm around me, I need to put my arm around my brother. And as the Holy Spirit puts his arm around you and you walk with him, put your arm around your brother. Confront them when there's things that they need to see. And in doing that, we'll honor Jesus and we'll honor um, our brothers. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've called us into your family. We didn't deserve it, but we really love being a part of your family. We pray that you would help us to treat our brothers and sisters with love and respect, but to obey your commands to confront them in areas where they need to be confronted and to obey your commands in receiving correction and confrontation when it's our turn. We pray that you would be with the elders in this church as they shepherd your flock, that they would be good leaders, and we pray that you would be with us, that we would be good followers, that we wouldn't get off the trail, that we wouldn't stray away, that we would focus on Jesus and on the path that they're leading us to. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.